Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. On most Mondays, Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm, Capital Alpha Partners, joins us for a look at the week ahead. But on this day, after the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, uh, joining us also will be former Pentagon Comptroller Dr. Dov Zakheim, who, among his many affiliations, is associated with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And our, our producer, Chris Cervello, a retired United States Navy commander and public affairs officer, who is also the co-founder of the ProVision Advisors public relations firm, Gentlemen, welcome back. And before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. And our naval coverage is sponsored by Fincantieri Marinette Marine. While Huntington Ingalls Industries and GE Marine sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's uh, recent Sea Airspace Conference and trade show. Uh, Dove, Start us off. Um, an extraordinary moment. A lot of Americans uh, certainly lamenting the tragedy of Afghans uh, uh, as the Taliban returned to power. It is now the Islamic Emirates, uh, uh, Islamic Emirate uh, of Afghanistan. Uh, apparently, um, Ashraf Ghani has fled uh, the country. Uh, ultimately, wars sometimes end rapidly, uh, including long ones and result in chaotic scenes. Everybody is asking why the administration was not better prepared. Uh, it's not that we were withdrawing for Afghanistan. The question is whether it was badly executed and whether it feeds into this perception. The nation is spending $750 billion a year on defense, and yet we're getting Afghanistan wrong. We got Iraq wrong. 620,000 Americans or, or more and many more still will die of COVID. Walk us through the president's statement. Uh, and where we are and where we're going. Obviously, the president just spoke a few minutes ago and said he wouldn't risk one more American life uh, for Afghans who will not fight to defend themselves. He did say the buck stops here. Uh, but he also said uh, that, um, you know, the everything happened a lot faster and things have, you know, he, that they planned for every eventuality, but things moved uh, a lot faster. And obviously, thousands of American uh, troops are being deployed to Kabul, Hamid Karzai Airport. Uh, to withdraw uh, Americans, allies, as well as Afghan allies. What do you make of the president's statement, the collapse, what's next, and what it potentially means for defense spending and confidence in America on the world stage? Well, look, the president made the best possible statement he could have under the circumstances. And I think a lot of folks are going to support him. 70% uh, of this country wanted out of Afghanistan. His strongest line was two Republicans and two Democrats had, you know, prolonged this war and he wasn't going to hand it over to a fifth. Uh, and he, he look, he, he clearly was not uh, as open as he might have been about American losses. We hadn't lost anybody in combat in 18 months, which is before we signed the May agreement, by the way. Uh, and uh, he, he obviously was was honest, on the other hand, that uh, the execution was absolutely awful. But he didn't get into what is my belief, the real problem we face right now, which is the world is looking at the United States. It looks at Trump's behavior. It looks at what Biden just did. And it may conclude this is not the America we knew during the Cold War or even during the 90s. This is a different America. 
it's an America that we may not be able to trust. And would this America go and fight for Taiwan or would this be the same speech? Those are the kinds of doubts. And I'm hearing, hearing that coming out of the Middle East as well. Uh, those are the doubts that, I, that trouble me. Now, Mr. Biden may, you know, made it very explicit that Afghanistan is different. They're not an ally. They're not in the national American interest the way our allies might be. But, you know, the national interest can get redefined. For an awful long time, we said Afghanistan was in the national interest. All of a sudden, it's not in the national interest. And that, I think, is the biggest worry, not so much about Biden himself or even his administration, but about America and the way this has happened. And look, Biden's right. The place was rife with corruption. If there's any lesson to be learned here, if you look not just at Afghanistan and Iraq, but at Somalia as well, and maybe even Bosnia, although Bosnia has not come out as bad, this, these places are rife with corruption. And maybe the United States should not get into fights, internal fights, when corruption is going to eat away at whatever is being done. And then one other thing, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, Vago, who supported the Afghans for 20 years? Why is there no Afghan Air Force that can really fight? We were supporting it. Why weren't the Afghans able to support their own aircraft by now? Because we had contractors doing all the work and contractors, quite frankly, and, and quite legitimately, they look at the bottom line. They don't want to hand the work over. They want to keep doing it themselves. And so as soon as the contractors left, which they did, the Afghans couldn't do a thing. There's lots of lessons to be learned here about when to intervene, how to intervene, how to help that hopefully we'll learn but right now, after seeing scenes that look like, remind me of what I saw when I was much younger, when we were leaving Saigon, I wonder whether we're going to learn the lessons at all. Uh, and, and indeed, uh, these are some of the similar uh, themes that are going to be in my editorial that's going to come out uh, shortly where I, I discuss all of these. Right? I mean, ideally, we're going to learn the lessons from this. Uh, maybe have a little bit less humorous, a little bit more modesty, a little bit less surprise at asymmetric shock uh, than where we've been for the last two decades, because unless we learn the lessons from this, we're really going to be screwed going up against uh, China and, and Russia. Uh, Byron, let me give you an opportunity. You had a thought-provoking note, as you always do, uh, as you did your uh, week, week ahead. What are some of the thoughts that you have and how this potentially affects defense spending? Because you and I have discussed this issue. Indeed, all of us on this call have often discussed the sense that 750 billion is not buying us a lot of security and in fact reflecting poorly. How do you think this affects the debate going forward? I'll start and say, I think it's almost too soon to tell. Um, you know, it's really gonna take weeks and maybe months for this to play out. But, you know, just thinking through the calendar, I think the first and most important issue is gonna be what Congress does with the FY22 defense budget. And uh, there's 3.3, 3.4 billion uh, in funds in the request for uh, the Afghan security forces and another couple hundred million in the State Department budget to support Afghanistan. So, um, you know, is that repurposed? Is that, is, does, does Congress, you know, uh, in its final appropriations or the National Defense Authorization, actually both, is that, is that reapplied to some of the more pressing security issues? Uh, for example, the competition with China. Um, I think, you know, going forward, to your point, no, the, the public did not support 
um, the majority of the public didn't support the uh, the engagement in Afghanistan. The the you know this has been America's longest war, right? But I think it it will get to a more fundamental question, which is how well has DOD been using the resources that it's been given, and you know if this is seen as a waste that there's now a question of competency and trust. Does that maybe at the margin uh, make it more difficult for the Department of Defense uh, and people within Congress to, to seek more funds if, if the public doesn't feel that, that they're going to be well spent or frankly squandered? Um, but again, that's too soon to tell, Vago. I mean, if if the Taliban um, behave atrociously, as atrociously as, as ISIS has or did, um, if there are terror attacks that start to emerge um, or any evidence that, that Afghanistan is harboring terrorists, you can frankly see the opposite reaction. Because um, arguably, I think that that will scare Americans and result in, in support for higher, higher defense spending, higher, higher homeland security spending. But again, you know, focused on, on these counter-terror missions. So, um, and then I think the last point is how our allies respond to this. Um, there are going to be questions, you know, as Dove just discussed about American resolve and American commitment. Um, you know, on, on one hand, uh, that may also have a positive benefit if it forces countries like Taiwan <clears throat> to really seriously address uh, some of their security issues and and buy equipment that's more appropriate for defense of the island. Uh, they only they spend about two percent of GDP on defense, which you know, given the magnitude of the threat they face, is probably not enough. So uh, and and that same, I think you know, you've seen Baltic states uh, and and um, the, the Nordic states respond after uh, Russia invaded Ukraine or invaded. They, after Russia took Crimea and uh, and started uh, a campaign against Ukraine, so you know these these if there's more question about U.S. resolve, possibly it'll it'll compel other countries to spend more on their own defense. Um, I I wanted to uh, point out um, I love the ship strike in the background, uh, Byron. Well done. Uh, it, the um, Biden did talk about. Uh, um, coming to Washington right after Vietnam uh, and, you know, talking about, you know, basically learning those lessons, right? Don't get in, don't get in the middle of a civil war uh, that's uh, playing out because it ultimately ends badly. And again, made his case, focus on counterterrorism, not on counterinsurgency uh, ultimately. Uh, and we can argue that, that, you know, we were never executing an Afghanistan strategy. We were executing a whole series of, you know, no, no disrespect intended to Afghanistan ideas and concepts that changed repeatedly over the decades about what it is uh, that we were trying to uh, execute. Uh, Cervello, let me bring you in, uh, in terms of uh, the messaging, the address, um, and, and where we find ourselves uh, now and some themes that we should be paying attention to uh, going forward, right? I mean, this is going to play out for many months. I, I don't know what anybody was expecting. You know, they're like, oh my God, chaotic scenes and people falling from wheel wells. I mean, that's basically what happens uh, at the end when people feel like they're uh, in existential harm. Uh, they, they do all manner of things uh, to get out of harm's way, especially with a group that's uh, got a pretty uh, established track record for unspeakable brutality. Uh, 
you know, give, give us your sense on, on what you thought of the address and where we find ourselves and where we're going. You know, when you say, what did people expect? Um, on one hand, I, I agree with you. Um, on the other, we live in a world where, you know, substantive debate is measured, you know, 250 characters at a time. Um, and, you know, a soundbite is almost too long uh, in terms of people's attention span. So I think that the imagery from this weekend uh, is gonna is gonna stick with people for a very long time, just like the imagery for you know the the generation before mine, um, just like the imagery of Saigon stuck stuck with them and and played a key role in and you know my my military upbringing and and the discussions about how to wage and how not to wage a conflict. Uh, I, you know I think that's important to to kind of you know start off with. In terms of the president's remarks, um, you know, you and I were uh, texting back and forth before we came on the air. I, I thought the president showed tremendous leadership. I, I thought he showed tremendous leadership in his decision making um, up through the, the weekend. The, the, the problem is, is that I think he gave the speech that he should have given a month, a week, you know, four days ago. Um, I, I'm not sure that he gave the right speech at the right time. So um, as I scored it, I thought it was a leadership win. I thought it was a communication draw. And I thought for him politically, it was a, a, a propaganda loss. I, I think he gave um, his political enemies and I think he gave the enemies of the United States um, something that they can use in their ongoing efforts against him as, uh, as an individual and against the United States um, writ large. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say is um, it's interesting in the global times tonight, the Chinese state affiliated um, online newspaper, their editorial, the nut graph is, from what happened in Afghanistan, those in Taiwan should perceive that once a war breaks out in the Straits, the island's defense will collapse in hours and US military won't come to help. As a result, the DPP will quickly surrender. Um, and then they right. go on for about a thousand more words and, and talk about how um, just like what all, all three of you have said, how um, what is going on in Afghanistan and what has happened in Afghanistan is a reason that uh, those in Taiwan should uh, should capitulate quickly and never rely on the United States. So we're, we're already starting to see what we largely expected from uh, the withdrawal and, and how we withdrew from Afghanistan. I, I think it's uh, utterly fascinating. And, and again, I mean, right, it's something that we uh, I, I note in my piece, right? I mean, it's something uh, that China and Russia are going to po point out, right? It's it's only a matter of, you know, it's not if, but when and how America betrays you uh, as an ally, um, you know, playing into this sense that, well, I mean, after all of this investment and a relatively modest loss of life, you know, is the United States going to fight uh, when, when tens of thousands of its soldiers uh, will be on the line. I think the point President Biden was making was, yes, for the right things, we will fight. This is not one of those right things. Uh, there's, there's no reason for us to be in this. And I think I can almost guarantee everybody, Taiwanese will fight pretty ferociously to defend their uh, country, at least many of them will, uh, from from China. So I think that's a little bit erroneous, uh, uh, you know, bit, bit, of, bit of PR wishful thinking on the part of Beijing. And a quick word from our sponsors, General Motors Defense sponsors our technology coverage, and L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of joint all-domain command and control. Dove, to bring, bring this back to you, 
where do we go from here? Because every Republican who's getting on the airwaves is is really getting a soundbite for their political commercial, right? I mean, they keep saying Joe Biden, uh, this is a calamity. It's 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 terrible. It it certainly is a tragedy. But ultimately, the question is, is there any good way to end it? I think Fareed Zakaria sort of nailed it, right? I mean, there's really no good way to end a war like this. So, alas. Uh, you you sort of move your way through it, although we'll have to see what comes out in terms of intelligence, who said what, when did they say it, what was ignored, right? I mean, obviously, there, there's a lot yet to learn here. But ultimately, you know, how is this going to play out? And does it jeopardize, for example, the president's party? Uh, does it flip the House or Senate seats? Uh, does it jeopardize him? Does it become a millstone around his neck? Or are many people going to start seeing it the way he did? This was not a vital national interest. It was a crap show, uh, a war that we may have actually lost many years ago, and we're just going through the motions. And his point was, would it have been better a year from now, five years from now, or 20 years from now to end this? I mean, what's what's your sense on and how this is going to play out politically. Well, there, there are two separate things here. I think the argument that he made would have made a lot more sense uh, the five, the one year, five year, 10 year argument, had we been losing a lot of people, he said we would have lost people to the Taliban, but he doesn't really know that. Um, the execution was awful. The last thing we should have given up was Bagram, not the first thing. Right. Um, but, you know, I go back uh, to what was already said here. Seventy uh, percent of the country supports him, supported him before the speech. And he didn't say anything in the speech that would turn off any of that support. And the Republicans are going to basically have the who lost Afghanistan argument like who lost China. But it's it's not the same kind of winner when, you know, who lost China? There was a communist scare. There's no scare here. Now, uh, as as Byron said, if and as I'm worried about and I've written about, wrote about this past Friday, Right. Uh, if there's more terrorist attacks wherever, whether in, in Europe or the Middle East, on Americans or back home here, uh, that will change everything. No question about it. But if there aren't any attacks, say, between now and the 22 elections, uh, most people still think the House is going to flip. And there's and Afghanistan is not going to save the Republic, the Democrats at all. And it, the House will flip to the Republicans with no reference at all to Afghanistan, quite frankly. If anything, um, it, it might mean that they might lose a seat or two that they otherwise would have received because they don't have the public doesn't support it. The public wants to walk away from Afghanistan every bit as much as the president did. On, to, on, on the question of budgets, uh, the China threat bothers far more people. The Russia threat bothers more people than the Afghanistan threat did. I don't think it's going to change uh, budgets one iota. Uh, the defense budget, in any event, is so much so much of a lower priority than anything else that Biden wants to do. He's not going to want to cut it because if he cuts it, then then he will he will be subject to attacks about well, if China and Russia are the real threat, why are you cutting the budget? Right. Um, so I don't think. That I just don't think that you're going to see much of a longer term impact. To, to me, the real question is, do we learn any lessons? And I'm very, very worried because the one other case that we have not yet mentioned where, again, the United States stupidly intervened and Mr. Biden was vice president was Libya. Same 
all the arguments that he made about Afghanistan could have been made about Libya, except that we were bombing from the from you know from aircraft and not losing people on the ground. But look at the civil war there. Look at the mess there. Um, we just shouldn't be doing these things. Well, well, I mean, you know, in that particular case, having covered it closely, um, uh, you know, the 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 issue was uh, that France and Britain wanted to do it. Uh, Obama did not want to do it. Obama ended up giving support to it and leading from behind, if, as the phrase uh, goes, uh, because they needed, you know, the Allied coalition needed our enabling capabilities in order to do something. Uh, but again, I remember having these conversations with people in the White House at the time who were not particularly crazy about opening up a third uh, Muslim war, uh, which in turn, by the way, became a reason why the administration wanted to get even less involved in Syria uh, at the time, right? I mean, then it was like, okay, so now you want a fourth war uh, for, for us to get involved uh, in. Uh, Byron, uh, let me bring you in. Well, in well wait of, a minute. Before you, before you jump ahead. over to Byron, I'll simply say this. The argument for getting into the third war turned out to be absolutely wrong because look at the mess that Libya is still in. Absolutely. And Clearly, the one they should have gotten into, having drawn the red line, the famous red line, was done something about Syria. With and by the way, we have troops in Syria right now. Right. Uh, it, I'm I'm I, I'm not disputing that. I was just addressing the Libya uh, Libya uh, piece of it and and the perception. And again, I mean, I think the president in his address said. Uh, what his view of the use of force should be. It has to be for a vital national interest. I mean, this is very Graham Allison here, uh, uh, ultimately, one of one of the, the finer discourses that I think every American should listen to, right? What is a vital national interest and what is not? And you have to be very cold and clear-eyed uh, about that, which I believe both President Obama uh, and now President Biden are, are channeling uh, to, to a degree. Well, Byron, I, I would argue with you about Obama. I think Biden's speech today actually resonated with me in a, in a very big way. I think the biggest problem in Washington is that we still have this unholy alliance of liberal interventionists on the Democratic side and neocons on the Republican side who ally themselves to get us into things that probably we shouldn't get into. Uh, I, uh, I, I would, uh, I would, I would agree with you on that. And that's a separate program, Dr. Zakheim. Uh, Byron, let me uh, bring you into the discussion on market performance uh, and how the defense contractors uh, have done, right? I mean, as we've uh, observed, uh, you know, there were a lot of weapon systems that politicians wanted the Afghans to have that I think in retrospect, it probably would have been better if they'd had Russian systems with which they were uh, familiar and did not need as much contractor support. Although I think that the way we prosecuted this war was very much to advantage our own industrial, uh, political and economic interests, really, rather than it be driven by our security interests. But how did uh, the defense industry fare and how do you think the market performance of the companies will be and what's driving it? Well, look, you know, Afghanistan was never a major factor for certainly the largest defense contractors in the United States. It, it mattered a lot for uh, some of the engineering construction firms and uh, the services providers, you know, DynCorp, Floor, uh, KBR, you know, they all lived well uh, on supporting um the U.S. effort in Afghanistan. And, you know, you're seeing it today, uh, PAE, which I think had about 7% of their sales from Afghan-related work for both State Department and DOD, their stock has been, you know, selling off as the situation 
developed and it's now down 3.6% today. So, you know, but the other, the other defense stocks, Lockheed, the, the big large primes, they were up today. And, um, you know, you don't want to take too much from day-to-day trading movements in the market. But I think there was that recognition that, uh, <clears throat> okay, you, you potentially are saving some money in the Department of Defense budget that can be reallocated from O&M into the investment accounts. And then you have this broader backdrop just about geopolitical uncertainty that, that uh, as I said, I don't think we know exactly how, no one knows how this is going to break, but um, you know, the world certainly looks different on Monday than it did a week ago Monday. And, and that uncertainty, I think, has, has played to, uh, to the sentiment that would support defense. I, I, the, the unfortunate part of this is that it is ending, unfortunately, um, aligned with our worst nightmare about how we thought that, that this uh, might end. Uh, Cervello, let me bring you in. What, where does the White House uh, and the Pentagon have to go from here in terms of a communication strategy, right? I mean, the administration has some very gifted uh, communicators. Uh, you know, John Kirby is uh, an all-star on the team, but every once in a while, um, very good, capable people are, are asked to make some real tough sells uh, at, the, at the end of the day. Walk, walk us through where we go, what, what has to be said uh, from, from your perspective, both for domestic as well as international consumption. I mean, there is a lot of resentment and anger, obviously, in Afghanistan, where, um, yes, corruption was rife. But a lot of people did sacrifice. A lot of people worked very, very hard for a very long period of time to create um, a different nation, uh, ultimately. And and in a little over a week, um, that ended. It, it appeared to, to end for sure. I mean, and even as we're taping um, this podcast, um, I'm, I'm watching on Twitter uh, and, you know, John Kirby just took a question from a female Afghan reporter who, in the middle of her question about the fate of women and girls across the country, apparently broke down into tears. Um, and just, you know, judging by the the number of retweets and comments, I mean, it, it was a pretty striking moment. So, um, and, and by all indications, um, and, you know, as expected, uh, John Kirby handled the, the initial question, um, you know, with, with compassion and answered it the way you would expect. But I, I think moving forward, these types of questions and the types of imagery from over the weekend um, are, are, are going to linger. So the, at least at the Pentagon, I mean, first and foremost, um, professionalism and expertise uh, is, is what they need to um, convey. That's not conveyed necessarily from the podium at the Pentagon. Um, it, it's going to be conveyed through the actions of U.S. and uh, allies on the ground there at the airport in, uh, in Kabul. So um, they need to do whatever they can to make sure that the rest of this uh, operation that the president said we're very much focused on goes as expected. I mean, we know that there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way, but making sure that they um, communicate what is happening, what is not happening, and demonstrate the, the professionalism and compassion that, that's going along with that mission I think will be uh, will be step one for the White House. I, I think the president and his comms team may need to continue to show that the president is focused on this. I, I think that 
um, by downplaying uh, and by allowing competing priorities. And look, I mean, he is the president of the United States. There's very important things going on domestically. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, there's you know all sorts of uh, national security issues going on around the world. Um, so, I mean, th those things compete for his time, but I, I think from a, a time standpoint and from a um, being seen that he's out there and being seen that he is in control of this situation as the, the commander in chief will be very important in trying to put some of this behind us um, and, and allowing him to move on to, uh, to other things. I, I will say that I, I'm not sure that going back to Camp David this afternoon was the right start to that, but but hopefully they can they can rebound and and get back on uh, somewhat of even footing moving forward. Um, I but given given how in touch the president is, no matter where uh, he is, uh, I don't really much care where he ends up, whether he's sitting in the White House or sitting at Camp David. Well, we we know that, right? I mean, the the issue is is that not everybody knows that, and and it's optics, right? I mean, the, right. You know, it's the same argument about whether you were Obama or Trump or whomever on the golf course. I mean, you, you can be just as effective anywhere. We, we understand that. I, I, again, I worry that um, people uh, in Peoria may may not understand that. Um, yeah, it was spending too much time on a golf course does make it a little bit harder uh, to to brief, for example, than if you're at the skiff in Camp David. But I, I get your point. We have a very brief amount of time. And Dove, I want to ask you this question. Um, how likely I mean, the Taliban has shown a lot of forbearance, certainly in Kabul. Uh, they've taken charge. They're not attacking U.S. forces they're sort of enforcing with their classic micromanagement, right? I mean, it's not a lot of them, it's 60,000 uh, across the whole country, but they seem to have effectively locked down um, Kabul. And there have not been atrocities. What do you ascribe that to? And will the international community or the United States, you know, I mean, the president said that we will be speaking out and rallying the world on women's issues and human rights. I mean, at the end of the day, that rings remarkably hollow I, I think it's it's interesting that Russia and Chinese embassies are still open, whereas, uh, you know, the U.S. embassy is closed and certainly is going to get ransacked. And, you know, every bit of information uh, gleaned from there and used, as has happened in the past, whether in Tehran or Saigon or anywhere else. Um, how do you think this plays out? And why is it that the Taliban are not doing anything? Is it for fear of American power? or kinder and gentler Taliban, what are, you know, to maintain international aid? I mean, how do you, what's playing out here? Well, I don't think they're afraid of American power, quite honestly. Um, just because we said we're going to bomb them to the Stone Age doesn't mean that uh, even if we bomb them, they will go back to the Stone Age anyway they are in the Stone Age. I think when they came, went out to China a few weeks back, I think they were advised, and I suspect the Pakistanis are advising them too, uh, look, don't make trouble until the Americans are completely out uh, and until everybody the Americans want to get out will get out. And then it's your country. These guys have shown tremendous patience. I mean, look, they waited 20 years. They can wait another 20 weeks if they have to. Uh, and what Biden, I think, needs to do, and I think Chris is right, he needs to show some compassion here. If we see uh, videos of atrocities of any kind, that's going to hurt him. On the other hand, if he is seen on top of the military's effort to get as many people out as we possibly can, 
that will show that he really cares. He can't. I don't care if he's at. You're right. I don't care if he's at Camp David or anywhere else. He has to show that he cares, and that you know Afghans and not just Americans and not just American allies, but Afghans who work with us. We're making every effort to ferry them all out to the greatest extent possible, and the Taliban is being smart enough to recognize. Let us do that. First of all, it gets rid of people they don't want around anyway. Uh, right. But second of all, it makes them look good. And, you know, we've threatened them with international isolation. It ain't going to happen. The Chinese are not going to isolate them. The Russians aren't going to isolate them. The Pakistanis aren't going to isolate them. And I bet you half the Muslim world won't isolate them. So that that, that does ring hollow. But they they are clearly wanting to make themselves look as good as they can in contrast to our, what they perceive and what many perceive as American weakness. Um, Byron, any last thoughts? And uh, Chris, any last thoughts as we uh, end the program today? Byron, I'm sorry we didn't do the week ahead, so you can have a, no, no, it's <laughs> have just, a do-over on that. To the point about the Taliban control, and, and the, you know, I, I just don't think that this chapter is going to close as quickly as um, people may be assuming. I mean, Afghanistan has 36 million people. Um, and so you kind of wonder, how is this, you know, 60,000 fighters? I don't know. I've seen estimates, you know, maybe there are 200,000 in total. Um, you know, this is a country that's been fragmented. And, and you saw how quickly the Taliban fell, um, you know, after the 9-11 attack and the, and the U.S. intervention. Basically, you know, with the U.S. working in close cooperation with uh, with some of the warlords in that country. So I just, I, I'm very curious, you know, where we're going to be a year from now or two years from now. Um, you know, is this a strong, a stronger, more stable um, Islamic state? Uh, you know, does it devolve into kind of the chaos that we've seen? Um, in in uh, a couple of generations now from Afghanistan, and, uh, and so uh, I, I I'll just reiterate I th I think um, you know there's a temptation you know we're all kind of responding to the the events we see today and kind of boy they must be real good if they can execute this kind of campaign so flawlessly but how how will they do governing the country and that that's still going to be an open question and there I mean, are I, a lot of afghans you know you've had a generation of afghans who've tasted life that's different and um where where we go with that we'll see um i i would you know like like to point out uh, along those lines right i mean there are a lot of afghanistan's afghans who've uh, tasted uh, a more free life, a, a life that af actually Afghans of an earlier generation would uh, remember, uh, you know, obviously before uh, the, the crackdown. And, it, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see whether the Taliban can govern, right? I mean, power is out in Kunduz, uh, for example, uh, because I think folks at the power plant uh, f uh, fled. Uh, this is uh, re relying on, uh, on news uh, reports. Uh, Cervello, I wanted to give uh, you uh, a chance also to weigh in as well as we wrap this up. I think the last thing I would say, Vago, and, and I think it, it kind of dovetails with where your editorial is going to go. Um, they uh, are we. As I read on Twitter and, you know, whether it's Republicans saying about the Democrats that, you know, they lost Afghanistan or Democrats saying about Republicans, they lost Afghanistan or, you know, everybody pointing to they. 
um, I, I think it's important for us to realize that it, it's we. I mean, we, we are the reason that we are, you know, where we are today. Um, and uh, unless we kind of reconcile that, I, I think any hope of being prepared to compete with the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, the North Koreans, future terror threats, I, I think any hope of that is, is futile un, un, until we figure out how to reconcile the we. Just to add to that thought, I think it's why September and October are going to be so important uh, for global perception to the United States. If we have a big food fight over uh, an infrastructure spending package and the debt ceiling and nothing gets done, um, I, I think that's just going to compound these perceptions. I, I should uh, point out that the one thing we're evidencing, uh, which is very, very bad for a great power, is that we are not ready for prime time. Each of these incidents is showing us we're not ready, whether it's standing up to COVID that killed 600 plus thousand Americans, whether it's not having a clear Iraq strategy, not having a clear Afghanistan strategy, not acting in Syria, each one of these things adds up. And if you're the world's leading power, you need to show that you can do big things and do them right. And we are exhibiting an inability to be able to do big things and do them right. And that only plays into China and Russia's narrative. And in turn, the best we can hope for is this administration and senior leaders learning we've got to really unscrew ourselves and unscrew ourselves uh, quickly. You know, Byron's point about the Taliban and controlling the country, you got to remember that uh, small groups can take over big countries. Look at, the, look at Lenin and the Soviet Union, look at Iraq, Iran. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I don't know that the Taliban is not going to control the place. For a start, one big difference is that Dustum and the warlords sold out to the Taliban this time. Now, who's going to bribe them to go in the other direction? It's not going to be us. not going to be the Russians. Who's going to do it? So they've sold out to these guys. That's a huge difference from 1999 to 2001. You don't have a Masood. You don't have any of those guys. You just have a bunch of warlord crooks. Absolutely. And brutality gets you a very long way. And at the end, you can control a lot of people by their particularly micromanaging brand of brutality. Yeah. Um, now, and, now, and it's going to be said, interesting. What you said and Byron said, uh, on the other hand, about, you know, and Chris also, uh, if the United States does not show that it can get its act together on much of anything over the next few months, we're in deep trouble. Because that has become the Chinese argument in particular. You know, we get our act together. We took care of COVID. We did this. We did that. And look at them. Democracy is a big waste of time and money. And we and right now, I do not have the confidence in the folks in Washington to uh, somehow figure out that that's really the, the heart of the problem. Guys, thanks very much for joining us. It's always an honor and pleasure having you on and hope that you guys uh, can uh, join us again uh, soon, uh, even on Friday, uh, as I'm sure that there will be uh, a lot of water under the keel, as they say, between uh, now and then. Thanks so very much for joining us. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. 
Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report, and check us out on LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship, and we'll see you again tomorrow.